You're listening to Frankly Speaking, weekly primary care insights for your practice, brought to you by PrimeMed. You're listening to the first episode of PrimeMed's new podcast series, Frankly Speaking. I'm your host, Frank Domino. I'm a family physician at the University of Massachusetts Medical School in Worcester, Massachusetts. The theme of each weekly episode will be centered on a specific primary care topic, and along with my guests, we'll look at what's new in the news, the medical literature, and practice guidelines, and how these things will influence your care. Joining me today is my colleague, Robert Baldor, professor and senior vice chair in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and the editor of Baldor's Family Medicine Board Review. Welcome to the show, Bob. Thanks, Frank. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Bob, I thought for today's session we'd begin talking about asthma and review some of the key components of how we evaluate asthma and ultimately how we treat it. For today's session, let's begin with asthma and how we go about classifying it with regards to patient care. Thanks, Frank. Great topic. You know, certainly uh, we're seeing a lot of asthma this time as we winter months. Uh, lots of folks coming in with uh, respiratory problems and, uh, and and complaints and trying to tease out uh, asthma versus just a common cold or other things that are there that are going on. So I think of asthma. I think the the real issue in my mind with asthma is uh, to try and determine whether or not this is an intermittent uh, problem for the patient or uh, whether it is more persistent. And that really uh, sort of drives everything. And you know you know me, Frank, I like to keep things simple. So the guidelines have lots of different details that are in them. I think of this as a rule of twos. And so we think about the rule of twos, it really gets down to really uh, having your patient understand this as well. What are they involved in? What are their, um, what are their uh, symptoms that they're having? How often are they using the rescue inhalers? Are they getting up at night because of complaints and so on? So the rule of two is symptoms. How often are you having symptoms that you think are attributed to your asthma during the course of the week? And is it uh, more than twice a week or less than twice a week? And so that's the, the, the threshold there. Um, are you waking up at night? And the as is asthma making you wake up at night? Again, that rule of two, but this is over the course of a month. Are you waking up a couple of times a month or less than that because of your, because of your asthma? The other rule of two here relates to the use of your um, rescue inhaler. And so we talk about short-acting short uh, beta agonists, the rescue inhaler, and it kind of goes along with the symptoms. Say, how many times a week are you using it? Are you using it more than twice a week or more or less than twice a week? And so that's that threshold. So I think of that, if people are, are uh, really, uh, you know, a couple times a month, these things are happening, it's intermittent. More than a couple times, uh, more than a couple times a week, waking up more than a couple times a month, using their inhaler more than a couple times a week, it's persistent. And so that really is one of the key things that I, that I try and focus on with, with individuals and helping them think about that from their own uh, uh, care, when they should be calling me, when uh, they should be saying, I think my asthma is acting up or not. So it's keeping it simple, rule of twos. Let's get specific about that, Bob. You're saying if it's less than twice a week, it's, it's an intermittent problem. And if it's more than twice a week that you feel you need to use your beta agonist, your rescue inhaler, it's a persistent problem. How do we define it further than that? If it, that rule of twos is fantastic, but can it help us figure out when patients are moderate, persistent, or severe? 
So once you cross over into the, uh, the, the persistent category, uh, then I rely a little bit more closer on the guidelines looking to see is it mild, moderate, or severe. And the reason for that is because it's the therapy, the treatment that is attached with this. Uh, and depending on your level of classification depends on what you need to be thinking about for, uh, for, for, for therapy. So uh, with the uh, classifications, again, I, I look at symptoms and symptoms also go along with the use of a rescue inhaler and asking people about that and now we've persisted a little bit so using your rescue inhaler uh, or having symptoms more than twice a week gets you into the persistent category if you're using that but if you need if you're having symptoms and using your inhaler daily you go from being mild to being moderate in your in your level if you're using it more than once a day you're into the severe category so that's the basic looking at this also nighttime is important to ask about uh, to couple uh, that with that if it's a couple of you know I, I said that rule of two a couple times a month no big deal but three or four times a month almost sort of weekly for nighttime asthma you get into the uh, into the mild uh, moderate is where it's more than once a week but not nightly and then severe where it's actually uh, pretty much uh, nightly you're, 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 you're being woken up. So, it's, so I think if you are having somebody who is struggling with persistent asthma, it, it's important to take the time to break it down and to understand whether they're mild, moderate, or severe. I, I like that, Bob. To recap, if you're using your rescue inhaler two or fewer times a week, it's a mild intermittent situation, but if it's, two, if it's more than twice a week, it's a persistent problem and mild persistent is considered uh, two more than twice a week you're using your rescue inhaler. Moderate persistent is daily use and severe is if you're needing to use the inhaler multiple times a day. So Bob, tell us again about the asthma action plan. Yeah, so I think it's important uh, that, that, that individuals, individuals have an asthma action uh, plan. Uh, it's really nice with what's been done around this, uh, thinking about uh, you know green, yellow, and red as uh, being the, 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 the zones here. And the, the green zone, the person's doing well, they're checking their peak flow, and their peak flow is more than 80% of uh, predicted. So that's great, just keep doing what you're doing. The, uh, the yellow here is things are getting a little worse. You're having more symptoms. We just talked about nighttime awakening and so on. But the peak flow is part of this 50 to 80% of their personal best. They're getting into that yellow zone. So they need to be doing and thinking about uh, other therapies uh, at this point and being aware of the fact it's like, right, you're driving, you get that yellow light. You're supposed to slow down here and be cautious about what happens next. Of course, I don't do that. I always step on the gas and go. But I know. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, and then of course the real thing here is the red light when you hit the red zone. And the, and the red zone here is more severe symptoms and the peak flow less than 50% of their personal best. So so that all flows into really thinking about uh, the classification of asthma and how you're really helping the patient to understand where do they fit because it's a spectrum. And, uh, and, and I think in another one of these uh, the, uh, uh, sessions, we'll talk about treatment and, and how that's important and where we should go with, with treatment. But the first piece of this is really to get that patient to understand their asthma and to understand it from the perspective of the degree of severity and get them engaged in uh, being patient-centered and caring for their asthma. And that's why the asthma action plan is so important. That, that's great. That's an easy set of parameters to follow. Greater than or equal to 80% of your personal best, your green. 50 to 80 percent, you're yellow, and less than 50 percent, you need to recognize that as red and take action with it. Yeah. Yeah. Terrific. So let's step back and think about asthma uh, 
what is asthma? Uh, what are the what's what's the pathophysiology that that's actually going on, and and why is it important when we think about interventions and treatment? Frank, when you say pathophysiology, I think of the first year of medical school, and I'm not sure I want to go there, but so let me go back to what I think makes sense from a day-to-day practice. Sounds great. <laughs> when I think about asthma, so asthma is really, it's, it's reversible airway disease. The idea is that you've got uh, uh, spasm in the, uh, the bronchi, the, the airways are narrowing down, and you're having trouble breathing, and, but it's reversible so that the airways will open back up again and the air can come out. Underlying that whole thing from a pathophysiologic basis is inflammation. There's something that's causing inflammation and irritation in those airways to cause them to spasm. So as you think about uh, symptoms, what happens is as the uh, airways uh, constrict, you can get air in, but you have trouble getting air out. And that's what causes the wheeze that you hear is people are forcing that air out through these narrowed airways and you can hear the, uh, hear the wheezing either audibly or uh, obviously through, 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 through auscultation. And um, certainly when I'm doing an exam, I always try and uh, have students and residents think about the I to E ratio, inspiration to expiration ratio. Normally, it's actually much easier to get air out than it is to get air in. A normal ratio is probably two to one. It just um, So when you're listening though, and it's like, hmm, it's taking them longer to get the air out than it is to get the air in, and you're prolonging that ratio, then you have to worry too. Great. Great. So it's a it's a condition that involves inflammation and decreased ability to expire what's in your lungs. Very good. Um, are there any risk factors for asthma that we have to worry about, and what should we be encouraging our patients to do to try to prevent some of the problems associated with asthma? So I, I think about risk factors. I, you know, it's it's. Um, uh, Asthma tends to run in families. There's most likely uh, an issue related to as, uh, allergy that, 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 that's part of this. But really what I think about more is, um, rather than risk factors, is um, uh, counseling patients on things they can do to avoid exacerbation of their, uh, of their asthma. I don't think you can actually prevent asthma from that perspective, but you can do things to decrease the number of times you're going to have exacerbations. And so typically we think about allergens as being a, a piece of this. Uh, you know, people love to have pets, dogs and cats. I don't understand this myself because I don't have any. Uh, but the, as of yet, yeah. uh, the, <laughs> uh, but a lot of people have, and animal dander is a big, is, 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 is a big trigger for a lot of people. Also, the other things though, uh, dust mites, uh, you know, that, that are part of this, there's indoor moles and, and, and pollen, uh, cockroach dander is not a dander, but cockroaches are uh, a piece for a lot of folks uh, in, in, in different areas. Uh, and then clearly tobacco. Uh, tobacco is a trigger, uh, whether it's uh, people, uh, and secondhand tobacco smoke is, uh, is a big issue for a lot of uh, patients that we see in, in children. I do want to talk about a, a couple, really one other interesting thing because I just read this in the paper this week. I don't know if you saw this. Um, asthma, worsening asthma is tied to, t- uh, to sausage and ham. And so individuals, this was just published, uh, individuals here uh, that were, it was, it was published in the thorax uh, here uh, December 20th, uh, 2016, uh, having four more weekly servings of uh, these uh, processed meats, ham, sausage, salami, and so on, uh, those individuals had more exacerbation 
their asthma. So what the heck is that about? Well, we've actually known for a long time uh, that sulfites in foods are a trigger, and it's the sulfites that are uh, being used uh, in this. So, so I don't think it was necessarily telling us anything we didn't already know, but it was just interesting that was in the paper. Thank uh, goodness they didn't study wine. Yes, <laughs> you've got it. Uh, you've got it. and the other thing, of course, for in wintertime, cold air trigger is a trigger for a lot of people's asthma as well. Sure. Um, so it sounds like you're saying there's a number of things in the environment. Should we be aggressively treating allergic rhinitis? Is there a role for air filters? Yeah, you know, um, there's been a lot of data on that. Uh, people thinking about uh, using. Uh, uh, air filters using uh, vacuum cleaners with, with HEPA filters, they call them, uh, that, are, that, are, that are there. Uh, turns out um, the data is not real good on that making a difference. People can spend a lot of money on these, uh, on these things. It doesn't seem to help when you study it rigorously from an evidence-based point of view. Part of that, particularly with the vacuuming, uh, the vacuuming actually stirs up a lot of these things. It certainly stirs up a lot of dust mites and things, gets them into the air that people are inhaling them, much more so than just leaving it there. Uh, I mean, you shouldn't leave it there, but I mean, you should always want to have a clean household and so on. But but the use of an expensive, uh, p people can't afford expensive HEPA vacuum, it's, it's okay. Uh, it's not that we've actually been able to see that it makes a big difference um, in I think, air, yeah, air oh, I think the same thing. I think you're absolutely right. The literature shows that it doesn't seem to help, although I have had some patients anecdotally say it helps. Same thing with bed covers and pillow covers. It makes perfect sense that it should help, but a Cochrane systematic review found very little benefit, if any, to doing those things and, and recommended against it. So I think, I think we've got a good idea that if you've got a highly messy environment, appropriate cleaning might be helpful. But mostly look at triggers that you can modify, like smoke exposure and, um, and other allergens. I think treating allergic rhinitis fairly effectively can help those who have extremely sensitive asthma where allergies will set them off. And this time of year, of course, we're thinking a great deal about flu vaccine. Oh, absolutely. And I want to come back to the other thing, though, is the pets. If people have pets, pets are great. Keep them out of the bedroom. That's the key piece with the, uh, with, with the pets. And the other thing, thinking about uh, some of the issues around uh, mold and uh, dust mites and so on, um, you don't want to have a lot of stuffed animals and things surrounding the kid in their bed. So there are things you want to think about minimizing the impact of, uh, of those triggers on allergy. But if somebody can't afford a fancy filter or vacuum cleaner, not, 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 not to worry because it's not all that benefit, beneficial. Flu vaccine you mentioned, absolutely. Um, you know, that's not going to do anything to prevent an asthma exacerbation, but we do know that people who have uh, problems underlying their respiratory tract are much more likely to suffer severely uh, when they do, if they do get flu, so you want to try and prevent that. Well, Bob, thanks so much. We've done this morning a quick overview on how to classify asthma, what are some of the physiologic changes that occur with asthma, and a little bit about environmental factors that play a role in asthma exacerbations. Join us next time when we're going to review how to um, both strongly diagnose and manage asthma in adults and children. This is Frank Domino for Frankly Speaking.